Hey, everybody. Good morning. It's 8.42. It's Tuesday, July 30th. And this is After the Gig. I'm Jesse Humphrey. I'm your host. As always, you already all know that. But this is going to be a short intro. I recently just got back from playing some gigs out in Colorado. Um, I don't really want to talk about those gigs because I did not enjoy it very much. Um, there's just sometimes when you go out and things aren't, things aren't what you thought they would be. And you know, I, I, I almost hesitate. I do hesitate to talk more about it cause it's private, but, um, it's not really something I should discuss on here, but, um, the shows were good. I'll say that shows were good and um you know sometimes you're just the altitude out there is is can be tough to deal with uh for some people i'm i very rarely am out in colorado and some of the places that we're in that had altitudes of like eleven thousand feet and you wake up short of breath and it's just uncomfortable it's just one of those things that I'm not used to it's the people that live out there. Love it. They're used to it. And it's great. Um, but that's not what was really bothering me. Um, yeah, that's all I can really, that's all I can really get into. Um, but it was a revealing week. It was good music. I got to meet a few new people, which was awesome. Got to do some podcasting with, uh, with the boys in red wanting blue and Mr. Eric Donnelly, which will be coming out in the future weeks. That was really fun. That was really fun to do. So I am going to block Island with my beautiful wife, Genevieve today. So I have to make this short and I just got home from, from Colorado yesterday. I took a red eye flight and, uh, I'm tired and I need to get ready. I have, not gotten my shit together. So today on the show, I have Mr. Seth Rosenblum. Seth Rosenblum is a guitarist in Boston. He is a blues artist. He's a singer, songwriter. But if you go on his social media, he has, I think, something like 25 or 26,000 Instagram followers. And he like puts these videos up of him just seriously thrashing on the guitar. He is unbelievable. He gigs around town. He tours around the country. He does clinic work, um, makes YouTube videos, like I said before, Instagram videos. And we get into a lot of stuff. First, we talk about our passion for video games, which I didn't realize we would talk about, but it was pretty great. Uh, Seth and I didn't know each other very well. We had seen each other around town while I was playing drums for Sonia Ray Taylor uh, and Ryan, and her husband Ryan Taylor. Um, and usually just was this dude that was there that sat in and I didn't really know much about him. And then he would just come up and absolutely murder on guitar. So I'm really, really happy that Seth came on. I'm really happy for you to check out this episode. Um, a couple things before we get started. Make sure you stick around for the music after the episode. It's going to be featuring a couple of songs off of Seth's new record. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the episode. Um, 
Seth wants to thank a few of, uh, of his companies that he endorses, LSL Instruments, Two Rock Amplification, Victory Amplification, Strong Driver, not Strong, String Driver Cabinets, Daddario, uh, TC, Elect- TC Electronic, I can't talk, Thorpe FX, I think that's Thorpe, pretty sure it's Thorpe, um, so yeah, so those are the companies that Seth endorses, the, the stuff that he uses while he's playing. So yeah, moving on. But if you can't tell in my voice, I literally just woke up and there is a lot more passion and um, uh, awakenedness, wokeness on this episode. So I'm just going to get right into it. Uh, Everyone have a great week. Oh, the Patreon page is not up yet. I've had a bunch of emails about that. Um, I'm just trying to get it right. And I was away all last week and um, I will have plenty of time to get it done and work on it this week. So I will put a post up on my Instagram about that. And when that finally comes up, but thanks everyone for your continued support and your willingness to want to support the Patreon. Um, but that'll be up hopefully this week. I'm I'm going to say definitely this week because I'll have plenty of time to work on it finally. So let's get into this. Without further ado, Mr. Seth Rosenblum. Don't come crawling back to me. here all the time going to the Anna's Taqueria. So when we moved here like three or four years ago, the Anna's wasn't there. And yep. then we, um, they finally opened it and I went there like every day for oh, like three oh, I've weeks. Oh, i done that. I, I did a diet where I was pretty much just eating Anna's Taqueria and it yeah. actually worked. It's not that bad for you. <laughs> yeah. But I remember when there used to be, because my best friend, uh, his mom lives in the area, mm-hmm. and when we were like ten, there was a baseball card shop oh, right really? up there, kind of across from where Anna's is. Okay, uh, that would have been dangerous for me. I oh used to, yeah, I used to collect cards when I was a kid. So this was. Did you ever play a game? And it was only out for like four years, mm-hmm. so it's kind of age specific of MLB Showdown. The uh, the video game? No, card game. So it was oh. made by the same company that makes like Magic the Gathering. Okay. But it was a baseball game, I think made from like 2000 to 2005. Oh, and no fun. one played it. Okay. Except us. Okay. And I probably spent hundreds on cards. <laughs> of, it was like pitchers would have a control ra- rating. It was a 20-sided die game. Okay. Where the pitchers would have a control of like one through six and you'd roll the die and you'd add the control to the die roll Mm. 
and then the hitters would have a uh, like hitting score of anywhere from nine to like fifteen. Okay. Based on how good they were, and if the pitchers control from the rate ranking plus the die was higher than the hitters thing, you then the hitter would roll, and it would be the result based on what was on the pitchers chart. Okay. Or if it was lower than the hitters chart, so and that was, like determines if you get a hit, or, right? Or, single okay. double. It was. A blast. Like, still once a year, my best friend and I pull it out, and we play MLB Showdown. Like, the nerdiest thing ever. But, yeah, there's I love to be... those games, man. Like, oh, they're great. Those games, I, I love, like, Settlers of Catan. I've never played that one. Now, the one I played recently, and it's intense. Have you heard of Gloomhaven? No. So, it won, like, I think best... Uh, board game or card game of the year through something Mm -hmm. it's sort of like the dungeons and dragons thing of like you have to have a group to play it and it's missions and you but i've uh actually one of the friends i was touring with uh this past week he's a huge gamer of all kinds like okay old school video games i i know that at one point he at his local kind of gamer bar in uh knoxville he was the record holder for uh what's it called street fighter 2 he had the the high record on there he used to be super into halo still all the games yeah but uh i was down i think this was january we had an off night in knoxville okay and it was his usual game night and i just joined in and it was a blast oh that's awesome yeah Yeah, i i'm i'm pretty into video games i don't play as much as i used to like i used to be into like i don't know i i, I really love playing sports games like i'll get i'll get Me home too. late at night and i'll play fifa for like hours mine has always been madden i love madden and too. my frustration in the last few years is i'm a huge baseball fan yeah same and there's no baseball game for xbox and i've yeah. played the show and it's eh. like i like no the 2k games yeah so i'll still pull out whatever the last one they made which was i guess 15 or 16 mm-hmm. occasionally uh but my all-time favorite video game was i was a gamecube guy back in the game day yeah and mlb 05 right after the Sox won that first series for GameCube. Yeah. Just the rosters, the gameplay, they had like the super teams. Mm -hmm. Until my GameCube broke, I was still busting that out and just playing with the old rosters. It's funny how those games can like, um, how they still hold up. Like they how do. how good they were, yeah. you know. You know the graphics aren't as good or whatever, but it's like it the gameplay and everything just still holds holds up with those old games. And I, I think that was the one where they had all the old school stadiums too. Oh yeah, they had where you could unlock like, like the polo grounds. And yeah, all that stuff. and yeah. you play at polo grounds where it's four that. sixty in center. Yep. And then like two eighty and right, yeah. So you draft a team that just had all lefty all hitters and jack it out and, and <laughs> yeah, like that game I remember playing for years after, and they never made one as good. But uh, yeah, for me, like Madden's the one now. Of, yeah. I geek out on just playing the franchises. I'll play Madden like during football season. Do you do that? Like, or you? Play I ramp around. up in football season, but I'll kind of yeah. play at any time and like. I think I'm still on Madden 18. I never got 19. So maybe I'll get 20 this year. But uh, I kind of figured out with the franchises how to cheat code it a bit. Really? Yeah. So uh, 
I always do a fantasy draft start, of course. All right. And, you know, unless you get one of the top three picks, you're not getting quarterback. You're exactly it's, like my brother. Because he'll, he'll, he will do the fantasy draft and everything. Yeah. I'll just go straight in with the regular teams. Oh, no. I'm I just fantasy go, drafting. Okay. And, so you get into, like, the nuts and bolts. Oh, totally. <laughs> and it's the thing where... With the fantasy draft, unless you get one of the top three to five quarterbacks. So at this point in the game I'm playing, it's Mahomes is in it, but he's not great. Okay. Like you're talking the top quarterbacks <clears throat> are Carson Wentz, uh, Andrew Luck, and Russell Wilson, where they're good and they're young enough that you will actually build around them. Right. Then others are crapshoots, like Mahomes sometimes is good, Garoppolo's sometimes good. Right. And then the Brady Breeze are just too old to start a team because they're going to retire in a couple years. Exactly. So, forget about quarterbacks. (laughs) Take top-end defensive talent, like corners are always hard to acquire. Mm -hmm. So get a good corner, get a really good, like, pass rusher. So, you know, Demarcus Lawrence or, you know, you're taking Tredavious White or someone like that. I'm always I always play as a defensive end whenever I'm playing defense. I do too. And I try, oh, yeah, to, just I try rush to rush the passer. Oh yeah. yeah, user sack all day. Yeah. Or I'll sometimes do outside linebacker if you have a team that's a three four exactly. And you take like a because you get that Khalil corner Mack. that corner rush. Yeah, you take like a Khalil Mack or something. Uh, but then I always do auto scout college players. So you get to the draft, oh. and I figured out in Madden the biggest cheat code. You, trade right before the draft and teams are dumb of you can trade for the number one two three and four overall picks in the next oh. draft so like for the, like the, a the third AI rounder isn't, isn't smart enough yeah for like a third rounder and your backup quarterback because they just don't value draft picks that high okay and you have it auto scouted and you see that oh this quarterback is far and away the best and he'll be like an 84 or 85 start superstar yeah. potential and all of a sudden, so you just trade somebody for a first round draft pick, and then yeah, and then you get whatever. So I you want. do that, and I'll play it like fifteen years into the franchise, and just keep Fif- going. Oh my god! Oh yeah, I love just That's seeing amazing. how far you can take. You know, try to beat the Brady Belichick era of Super Bowls. Okay, yeah, That's awesome. I I like. I don't know, man. I will go in and I'll just play. I'll play the regular the regular franchise like all the regular rosters and i'll just play as it is i am like so do you have a team you usually go with i always play as the patriots okay and then my other go-to thing is like whoever the patriots are actually playing this week i'll go and do exhibitions and like just play against them and you know run all kinds of different strategies yeah as if as if it means anything <laughs> i mean like i have certain favorite players in those yeah. games like i have my favorite wide receiver i always have like the strategy of franchise building yeah and it's how i try to build a real life football team right of like i always like having one big wide receiver like six three six four right i don't care if he's fast but can just just go get up, up and there get the and ball. catch the ball, yeah. And then one guy who I don't care if he's five nine or six four, who's like ninety seven speed, super and you just fast. Send him on on a streak route every time, every single play. And when they're playing cover zero, it's like just tap it, yeah, tap it, touchdown. go up over the top and touch touchdown down every, every time. time. You know, yeah. there are some things Madden doesn't quite do realistically, but right. that's okay. Did you ever play any of the uh, uh, like Mario sports games for GameCube? No, I think I was a. 
I was maybe a little too young to okay. really get into the Mario thing. Okay. Like, I've played Mario Kart, obviously, and stuff, but the first games I remember playing, I remember getting PlayStation. Okay. And I was always a baseball thing yeah. and i forget what those games even were back that which franchise it was but i played a lot of baseball and the first like other game i really got into was james bond 007 nightfire for gamecube oh yeah which was like that was still to me is the best first person shooter ever were you and too young for goldeneye no, I you think play, I, played, I played, played some of that, but Nightfire was like the one that came out at the right time. That was the one for, for you. me to get into it because it was the thing. My parents didn't want me playing first-person shooter games. I was like, you know, okay. thirteen or whatever. So I'd do the thing of borrow it from a friend and put it in a different case. And when everyone right. was out of the house, it's like pop that in and then you play it and play. But I remember, I forget the name of the sneaky. map, but you know the one that was like the snow map. Yes. Yeah. With the, you could walk on the tram mm-hmm. going from the two houses. And that game was so limited where you couldn't like run. <clears throat> you couldn't do, but the, it was fun. It was a oh, fun game. The like rocket launchers where if you had that, the advanced weapons package and <laughs> yeah. could just shoot from one to the other and take people. It was so much fun. Like I've played <laughs> all the call of duties and halos and I yeah. got a little into call of duty for a while, but yeah. that one still in terms of how much I enjoyed it. Yeah took the cake call of duty was like huge for me and my friends like we would play when when everyone started going away to college and we're all in different spots then we'd play online you know play call of duty well, online. and, and it was, was always the thing is i sucked at those mm. like Nightfire was easy enough okay where you could you didn't have to have the super fast reaction time yeah. to be good like i'd always lose head to head if i was playing against okay. someone right but i could beat the computer right 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 call right. of duty i struggled it's like, hard man playing live my kill death ratio was not good mine mine was always uh, like a positive uh kill to death ratio but i meant Oh, Today, it was good when now? I could get it like neutral. Like usually, right. I was the guy that everyone like. I'd go three and twenty. Okay, and I was just the one everyone was picking off and like. Yeah, yeah, I could usually go like three to one, probably something like oh, that. That's that's legit. At one point, I was pretty good. I was pretty good, but I mean, now with the the kid, they have all the crazy controllers and oh, stuff yeah. now, and the TVs. I remember a friend getting one of the TVs to play specifically like Halo and Call of Duty. Yeah, only like an 18 or 20 incher okay but zero lag where you'd sit as close to it as you sit to a computer right and yeah i mean some friends got into it i was never that into yeah it. yeah because i mean i'm i'm about to turn 27 in actually in exactly a week so oh, that's kind of thank you that's kind of my video game you know yeah. uh of when I was growing up and what was coming out was kind of the early 2000s. Like, yeah. 2002 to 2007 was probably when I was playing the Pretty most. Pretty good time for, for gaming. It was a good time, but gaming. I kind of missed out on a lot of those classic 90s things. Yeah. Well, the nice thing, they have all the the systems and stuff. If you ever want to get back into it, if oh, you yeah. ever like want to quit guitar and get in, back into gaming. Oh, yeah. That's a good career choice. <laughs> How so? When do you have time? When did you have time to practice and get super good at guitar? I gotta say, like I, I always played some video games, but growing up, I started playing guitar at eleven. 
11. And yeah, it was, I had played violin since three or so. My dad was mm-hmm. a violinist. So I had the musical background and I saw the movie School of Rock mm-hmm. when I was 11. It was in theaters, went to see it uh and went out saved like all christmas money and birthday money went mm-hmm. and got a guitar and my only goal was to be as good as the kid in the movie okay and to play the solos but i also had the school of rock soundtrack okay which is pretty awesome yeah because it's got like immigrant song zeppelin okay it's got i think sunshine of your love cream it's all classic it's all rock. classic rock it's kind of the who's who like it as uh I forget what else is on there, but it's all really good stuff. Like it, it, maybe even as like some black crows and so it has a yeah. good mix of stuff. I only saw the movie like once. Oh, I've maybe, seen it maybe, like 30 maybe times. Okay. I can quote every line in okay. that movie. <laughs> so that was kind of the starting point. And I had always been an Elvis fan and kind of Beatles fan. So that was my starting point. Mm-hmm. And guitar was really the thing I just wanted to do for me. I had always played violin for most of it because I wanted to at first, but then I was always expected to play. So violin was violin was like early when you were. Oh yeah, I started playing at three. I mean, my oh, dad, wow. uh, my dad retired a couple of years back, but he was a violinist in town. So okay, it was the kind of thing of growing up. There are pictures of me at one or two holding like a toy violin and then okay i add like an eighth size violin as soon as i could hold it do you still play it now no no i I haven't really played it all since i was about 14 and it was the thing where by nine or ten i was expected to practice i was really taking lessons and then by 10 11 i was enjoying it a lot less and it felt like more of a chore Mm -hmm. so guitar was the thing that I never at first wanted to take lessons. It was like the fun thing that I just wanted to do. Right. Uh, So I started then and kind of started with the classic rock thing and Mm -hmm. learned a lot of Elvis tunes, which basically blues. Uh, Were you learning like just just the chord structures or were were you getting in there with like the melodies and stuff at that point? Or were you just trying to play like... It was a mix. Like the hardest thing for me going from violin to guitar were the chords. Okay. Because I had already, I knew what a three octave major and minor scale. I'd been doing that for a long time. So I came at it from a weird angle where at first it was just trying to play along stuff by ear. And I was at the right age in terms of technology where tabs were a thing and you could find anything on ultimate guitar. Right. But it took a while for me to actually know the name names of a lot of the chords i was playing okay and that was actually the biggest challenge for me of real chord knowledge and the names behind stuff but Mm kind of went through that phase then got into the rock and metal of the metallica and oh then oh yeah you went down that road oh i was a huge metallica fan and i remember the first like guitar solo i learned was nothing else matters yeah and then it was learning master of puppets and all that man i find i would find I'd be hard pressed to find anyone that I've sat down with to talk to that isn't some kind of Metallica fan. I mean, or it, didn't go through some kind of phase with metal and Metallica. It and stuff. ruined my picking earlier on. Really? Oh yeah, because you learn that stuff and it's all down picked. Like uh, James oh. Hetfield is probably the best down picker. That's of right, because he's like super. Oh yeah, fast. and so the stuff I was into in terms of guitar stuff at first was Metallica. Then I remember getting a G3 video 
of one of that the guitar tour that Cetriani's done since the uh, the nineties, where the first one I got is I remember getting two DVDs. Is I had I had gotten sick, was like at at home just out of school for a bit, and got two early like Christmas presents of the Metallica S and M DVD with the okay. orchestra. Yeah, and a lot That's of the Metallica incredible. solos you can play without like a lot of alternate picking or technique. You can use so okay. many hammer-ons, pull-offs, and okay. just downstrokes. And then I got really into Cetriani, which is all the legato thing. And mm-hmm. it was Joe Cetriani, Steve Vai, and John Petrucci on that. Yep. And Petrucci was my favorite there. So I found out about his stuff before Dream Theater. And then what I made, went through. What made him your favorite? Uh, like, just differentiate the, between Cetriani and. I don't know. Guys. Just kind of the, the songwriting of some of his solo stuff. I mean. In terms of instrumental guitar st- uh, music, his solo album, Suspended Animation, is still one of my favorites. Okay. In terms of like the heavy solo guitar thing. So that music just hit you the most. like. Yeah, hit, hit and so got way. really into Dream Theater. Awesome. And that was really the stuff that, in terms of learning it, took my especially right-hand technique to a decent level because coming from violin i never had to work that hard on left hand right it was already there it's a stringed instrument right honestly frets make it easier right uh but the right hand was always a challenge so yeah got into that and then uh yeah the blues thing was really from when i was getting into dream theater around 13 my mom was not as much a fan of hearing dream theater around the house all the time. <laughs> Understandably, you know, I, I went to a show recently and I still enjoy it, but it's not quite my yeah. cup of tea. And were your not- parents bummed when, when you stopped playing violin and, and moved to the guitar and started not really because by the in time your re- I, in your rebel metal phase, well, by the time I had fully transitioned, they had seen how seriously I was taking it. Okay. And it was always just a thing of, they really wanted me to have, to take some musical instrument seriously, right? Your pa- so, so your pa- your dad was a was a violinist around here. Yeah, you're from you're re- from around I'm here. I'm from around here. My parents actually met in music school, so they okay. were both musicians. So from Newton or, or Waltham, Waltham, so okay. pretty close by. And so my parents met at music school. They were both violinists. My mom ended up getting her master's in early childhood education, taught preschool for years. My dad. Uh, came to town in the late 70s and taught around for years, still teaches a bit, but was concertmaster of the Boston Ballet Orchestra. Wow. Uh, assistant concertmaster of the Esplanade Pop, subbed with the symphony and stuff. So I was wow. around all that stuff growing would you, up. Would you be around these concerts all the time? And Yeah, like growing up. How they, often Like would, would you? I don't even remember. Like okay. it was just a thing where they used to have, and I think they still do them. The symphony had like the kids concerts, yeah, the matinee, yeah. the hour long ones. I went to tons of those. Oh, growing yeah. up. I've seen the nutcracker like 30 times. Oh, yeah. I never want to see it again. And <laughs> it's just the kind of thing where I'd hear violin around the house all the time. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of my, my background in terms of music was uh, was pretty good was classical music but anyways so around 13 i was into dream theater they were coming to boston to the orpheum i wanted to go Mm -hmm. i said hey can i go and my parents said there's no way you're going alone to the orpheum to see a metal show right uh so my mom made me a deal of she said i'll take you to that if you go to any 
concert that I pick. And okay. she was really trying to push the more classic rock and even more towards the blues and jazz. Some of that, right. to, you know, yeah. try to get me to expand my horizons a bit. And she found a listing in the Boston Globe art section of up and coming blues guitar player. And it was in like the jazz section mm -hmm. for a show at Scullers. Okay. And this was around 2006, I guess. And it was 2005, 2006. It was Joe Bonamassa when he was oh, still yeah. playing clubs. So at Scullers, 200 people there, and it blew my mind. Like, that's what started really opening me up to blues. And it's like, oh, that's cool. I remember he closed the night with a cover of Jeff Beck band, Blues Deluxe. Man. Who was in that band when he was when he was playing? Anyone that you would remember now or... I'm not, I kind of forget. I know it was after he had had Eric Czar on base, the guy with like the biker vest right. and all that, who was awesome. I always loved his playing. Yeah. So I forget the bass player's name. It was before he had like Carmine on base. It was kind of that transitional period. So, yeah, and, probably when he was starting to transition out of clubs at that point. Right. And it was... I don't remember if it was still Kenny Cram on drums okay. or if it was the guy that he had for a couple of years after that, before then he went to uh, Tal on drums. I forget who was in the band. You know, it yeah. was. I just remember Joe playing. He played his ass off that night. Yeah. Like, it was when he was still playing Strats. He had a Marshall half stack in Scullers, and you probably remember. Does he play? The, he hasn't played Strats anymore, or as much. Now anymore? he does with the vintage things, but for right. a while he really went to just the Les Paul thing, okay, and the three thirty five thing. This is when his main guitar was still like a Gold Sparkle Strat, okay. He had like a hollow telly, play the Les Paul a bit, and then in the middle of the night, whole band went off stage, and he did. 20 minute acoustic thing that was absolutely insane man uh did a whole slide part to it it was just so it's cool. like instrumental acoustic just no it was vocal stuff but he oh, did right. Cause, yeah because he, he has, has a, a tune uh woke up dreaming okay which he always did and it was like a showpiece for acoustic because the tempo is flying really oh yeah <laughs> it's it it's pretty uh pretty Pretty quick. Uh, but uh, that show really started me on being interested in blues. And for me, okay. it was then tracing it back of, okay, Joe's influenced by B.B. and Clapton and Gary Moore and all that stuff. Check those guys out. Check out their influences. When did you start to take that, like, go down that road? Because, I mean, when I hear you play, you can, you channel, like, whatever you want to I guess through do, you know. most of my teenage years, it was still a lot of the guitar. Okay virtuoso stuff okay. and any blues was more the joe thing where it has an element of that yeah uh i was into like guthrie govan a lot and a Who's lot that? Of, he's one of the most terrifying guitarists i feel like i should know like <laughs> terrifying he, he makes cetriani and vi look like they have no technique really to that point where he can just play anything and got and not to that how do you point, even get to that like i was into that eric johnson all those yeah. guys yeah, uh yeah, yeah. at that point 16 17 was that's when I like first met actually the guy I was on tour with this week, Andy Wood, who was Andy a huge Wood. influence. Yeah. Great. And yeah. Andy's terrifying, uh, you know, can play country, 
bluegrass, all that stuff. But then I'd say it was around 17, 18 that I really started listening more to old blues of Albert King and BB and all that stuff. It's funny how as you as people progress in their playing i know for me and my drumming you start off with like you know the tony roysters of the world like you know billy cobham and and all these chops and all this stuff and then you like find you know Questlove and steve jordan and nate smith and all these guys that like just lay it in there and you and you just like bring it back and then build yourself back up again well you know who i saw the other week actually was steve gadband Oh, yeah. At Scholars. Uh, and I went, I mean, Steve is obviously one of my favorite drummers. Incredible, but, yeah. Uh, Mike Landau, who plays guitar in that group, yep. is one of my all-time favorites. Really? And I think they did, they were in town because they always do the fourth with James Taylor out at Tanglewood. Oh, that's Every right. Every year, James Taylor does third and fourth at Tanglewood. So they were playing like... I think they did two dates at the Iridium in New York mm-hmm. and then two days at Scholars and it was that whole band is James Taylor's band. So. I got to go I got to see that sometime, man. It was really cool. My uh my parents went to go see James Taylor at Fenway. I think it was either nice. last year or the year before that, but they said it was like unbelievable. Bonnie Raitt opened. I have never seen James Taylor okay. since I've been able to remember it. He actually yeah. used to do a lot with the Boston Pops. Mm-hmm. So I guess I met him when I was like 3. Okay. And got to sit in on a rehearsal. And it was funny. One of my favorite songs is like a three year old. And I'd go around singing it. And it's kind of disturbing now. <laughs> is uh, Steamroller. Okay. And I thought it was about construction equipment. <laughs> it turns out it isn't. Nope. Uh, <laughs> but that was, that was maybe my favorite song. There uh. was. My mom had recorded a James Taylor concert on TV at some point in like the early 90s. And I wore that out. And I didn't even know I was watching Mike Landau play when I was probably two and three. And he's still one of my favorite In your subconscious, he always stayed stayed back there. Something like that. Yeah. Then I, uh, by chance, was at a kind of convention that he was playing around 2008, 2009. Mm -hmm. And it's happened twice to me where i've ended up at a show where i didn't really know the guys playing at all Mm -hmm. and as soon as he got on stage and i heard him play three notes it was just oh that's one of my favorite players yeah landau where it was just moving breathtaking whatever the amount of touch and the amount of tone and everything Mm -hmm. and then I was playing on the same show in 2014 as Eric Gales, and mm. I had never heard really, somehow had never just explored his playing. Yeah. And it was a thing where, you know, sometimes for a festival thing, you have an incredibly early sound check. Yeah. And you're never happy about it. No. This was got like it's a so sex. it's so vastly different from it, when you're and and then a million bands roll through the same stage before you even touch your stuff again. Oh, it was bus call for this thing at eight a.m. Yeah, brutal. Not fun, and <laughs> it had been up hangout, so was you know had gone to sleep at three or something. So was right. not happy about it. But get over, hadn't even had chance to get a coffee yet, and it was at the Durham Convention Center in Durham, North Carolina. And 
it was like a backline thing. And then I remember Eric brought in his own amp. Okay. And always at that point, you're kind of thinking, oh, who does this guy, who does you this know? guy think yeah. he is? And not that I wouldn't do the same thing having the chance, but, you know, uh, Eric walks in, gets up on stage, doesn't even have the band up there at that point, plays two notes, and he's one of my favorite guys and favorite players on the planet. Right. I had never heard anyone sound like that. Like just the really? way that he makes a note sound. He's he's special. Like, is that all? Do you think that's all just like in in the fingers or through the setup? Like, what do you think causes? I am so interested and intrigued by how guitar players get their tone and their specific sound. Like the guitar player in my band, uh, his name's Carter. He he works. I mean, he his pedal board is ridiculous, but just in his fingers and the way he plays and how he gets, you know, the harmonics out. It's just, it blows my mind. And then guys like Joe Bonamassa, who, um, and this is just through what I've seen on his Instagram. Uh, he's at, he has all like the vintage amps and stuff, but it right. seems like he's just plugging straight in and getting this like, like crazy loud tone that seems so like organic sounding. Does that sound familiar? Like, oh, does that sound right? Um, I don't know, man. Like what, what is it? Like I, what makes these guys different? <laughs> I mean, I think most of it is the fingers, like okay. every player, because I've over the years had the chance to play through someone else's rig. Yeah. And you play through their setup with their guitar and you, you aren't going to sound, you don't sound like, like them. You sound like you through you their just, stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So the gear, it's the same thing with drums too, I guess. Oh, totally. And the gear is at any point part of it, mm-hmm. but it's almost more for the player than it is for the audience and the end result. Exactly. There will of course be tonal differences guitar wise. Are you plugging through a Fender? Are you plugging through a Marshall? Right. Are you plugging through a Vox? Mm-hmm. That totally affects the mid range, the top end, all those things. Mm-hmm. But every player sounds like themselves through almost anything. You take take a guy like Joe, if he used to play Marshalls and Fenders, played Marshalls and Gibsons for a while, now plays Gibsons and Fenders through Fenders. Okay. And he always sounds like Joe. Yeah. And it's a different tone in a way. Yeah. But it's still the touch and the the details have always been him. Yeah. Uh, it always feels like the difference between the guitars. Like, obviously, if you go from like a 335 to a Strat, there's a massive difference there. But just the way that they p- play from guitar to guitar, you can always tell it's them. It's so subtle. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm a huge gear nerd, and I, are, are I oh, I switch okay. my stuff up all the time. I'm okay. always taking out different things out on the road, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, another player in town who I think we met through Ryan Taylor. Okay. We're always hanging out and yeah, uh, you know, comparing gear and stuff. Speaking of great players, oh, Ryan is one of, if not my favorite player. In you know Boston. what? You he know what's me. so interesting about Ryan is that. He, it feels like whenever we play a gig together, he doesn't want to play the guitar. He just wants to play bass or drums or do something else. It's like he doesn't realize how filthy good he is at guitar. He is one of the (laughs) only guys who I've heard that can play slide in an open tuning like he does, then play 
standard tuning, yeah. regular, whatever, and have it all fit together where it doesn't sound disjointed. Like he's right. doing the slide thing and then doing the non-slide thing. It just sounds right. like Ryan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're both huge gear nerds yeah. and always trying new pedals and stuff. And I, for me, it all starts with the guitar and the amp. Okay. The pedals are extra to me of i can sort of still do my thing just plugging into an amp it's usually the thing of you know with clubs sound guys want full control and they don't want it to be loud i have the benefit of at this point i'm not doing much sideman stuff it's pretty much all my gigs so i can kind of tell the sound guy to go screw themselves (laughs) and that it sounds better loud you deal with it out front yeah where if you're playing for an artist you can't do that because you're gonna get fired do you ever put like a like any baffling in front of yeah actually so so you can get the full tone out of the amp i all the time have in the trunk of my car or in the band in the van a big plexiglass shield gotcha. designed for like half stack so at this gig in Asheville uh this week it was one of those where it's seated and the stage is the height where if you don't shield it the speakers are right in line with everyone's heads gotcha. and it's more about making the audience happy than sound guy right so we shielded the amps I don't love doing that because for me it take not being super used to doing that every gig you have less of a feel of where you are volume wise in terms of when you turn down the volume knob yeah you know if you're at 10 or if you're less than 10 but you don't know if you're at two or four or six okay uh but i'll do so that the baffling sometimes. will take away the control that you have over what you're hearing yeah and then you don't want to rely on having to to get tone out of the monitor Oh, I never have guitar in the monitor. You never have guitar in the monitor. No, That's interesting. No, I hate it because it, it totally changes what it sounds like and where it's mm. coming from. And it probably takes away from how you hear your voice when you're singing, too. Somewhat. Right? I mean, I always have the voice screaming back at me right. in the monitor. Yeah. But no, guitar in the monitor usually sounds like trash because right. it's the different of, difference of being used to hearing it coming out of a 12-inch or, in my case, 10-inch not at all full range speaker okay. and then coming out of tweeters it just it isn't good oh it's just yeah it's just completely different totally different oh man yeah so what was your setup when you went out this weekend so i took two guitars i always just take a double gig bag i took one of my lsls uh that's okay. pretty much a copy of an old vintage strat that okay. I, they blanked took a blank of the neck and stuff and then i took uh something that's kind of new to me it's like a les paul junior double cutaway copy with is that P90s. is that like the uh um it's like a bluish yeah that, yeah so I've i took that out. out and that's cool for some of the rock stuff and mm-hmm. just to have something that's different that's a cool looking guitar it's great. it sounds great uh, yeah from, from your instagram video i really stuff. enjoyed it on this run mm-hmm. like i think that's going to be pretty constant in terms yeah. of taking that out is just something to have a change from the strap the yeah. telly thing yeah and then just got last week it had been on order for a while, but a two rock Bloomfield drive. So it's like a dumbbellish head. Okay. And took that out with this uh, string driver 410 cab. So sort of is in between like a dumble and a super reverb put I together. Like, I feel like a lot of that. guys are playing the two rocks now. They're great. Here. So you have one. I know that Ryan, Ryan has, has one. Sonia has one. And, uh, Andrew Gravel has yep. one. Um, they're great. They're, yeah, they're cool amps. I, I remember 
seeing John Mayer play him, you're like, I don't know, around 2007, 2008. He's been playing him forever. For a while. And then he switched over to the PRS stuff. And he still plays some of them, I think. He still plays some I of them. I think they're kind of hiding back there. Sometime. Yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> and he does the Dumble thing, too. Like, he has real Dumbles. So. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I that's my... my uh, I love John Mayer. Yeah. I th- oh, he's I great. think he's great. I love his songs. I love, love his guitar playing, all that yeah, good stuff. But totally. Um, so that's that's all you took out? Just, just Small pedal board, but okay. it's mostly just, I always have a delay on there, which in a trio setting for me is really just thickening out the sound, a little bit of slap back. Okay. A chorus, which again, it's just for in a trio setting to kind of fake the organ thing. Okay. And a couple overdrives, which are mostly just hitting the front of the amp harder to where it's still letting the amp do the bulk of the heavy lifting. Okay. But it's just pushing it over the edge. Do you have, and do you have your guitar on 10 most of the time? No. Okay. It's anywhere between two and 10. And that's, I don't necessarily during a song step on a pedal to get it to an X gain stage. Mm-hmm. It's more going from four to eight or and eight to 10. Lifting yeah. it up. Yeah. Riding the volume. Up. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I always, um, that was always like a point of contention when I was coming up like guitar players that didn't really weren't all that great in high school and stuff. They're like, Oh, I always have the volume on 10. It was all these like rules that you had to follow. And you know, Oh yeah. I never you knew much do about so it. much with just the volume knob and yeah. working that. I mean, it's there. Yeah. Might as well use it. Exactly. <laughs> um, so what's your set? Like, what do you play when you go out? Like what, what is, uh, are you playing covers? Are you playing originals? Like what, how do you build your set? Pretty much all originals at this point. Okay. And any of the covers I'm doing are things I've done on records. Okay. So this set, I was out with my friend Andy Wood and in Asheville and Charlotte, it was a double bill show. And then we do a jam at the end of like three or four tunes Mm -hmm. in Raleigh. There was also an opening band. So doing a blues set for a 45 minute set, it's like six tunes. It's not a long set in terms of songs because I like to solo and throw yeah. one slow blues in there, and that's 12 minutes. Uh, so I did all six of the tunes in the set were, except for one. So five of the tunes out of the six were off my new album that came out in January. Okay. And then I did one old blues cover that was on an EP I did last year. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Do you try, are you pretty like traditional about how you, how your set list is or like traditional blues or do you, is it like, is there a structure? You said you, you solo like a lot. So, I mean, a third of the new album was actually co-written with Sonia. Okay. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. That's awesome. The album wouldn't have happened without her. Oh man, that's so cool. Uh, it's, I started off with kind of a traditional sh- uh, shuffle usually okay. and then do a couple of the more rockin' tunes. Gotcha. Then do slow it down and then end with kind of a funky one. So I try yeah. to have a good flow to the set. Nice little arc to the set. And there are certain songs that stay pretty structured. The rock ones are what they are. Mm-hmm. And then the blues ones I'll stretch for as long as I feel that night. So, yeah. again, I play slow blues. It's going to be... 10 minutes minimum because it's you know it's guitar players and blues fans coming out to the show they want to hear that building that's true. you know it's it's all about that for me and yeah i'm i'm a guitar player first and a singer second without a doubt yeah and 
that's what I want. So uh, we actually each did like six song sets and then jam of like three to four tunes. And that's pretty bad. Uh, it was actually the most fun of this run was we started getting requests in mm-hmm. Raleigh and I don't know if you're familiar with Andy Woods playing at all. Not really. He So his background is actually in bluegrass mandolin. Mm-hmm. He played growing up, grew up in kind of western part of It's all of that North like Carolina. really fast picking. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then he started playing cool electric spot, guitar yeah. when he was like 18. So pretty late. Okay. He, in his 20s, he won one of those Guitar Center uh, Guitar Mageddon competitions. Yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. first ones they had, he won the whole thing. Jesus. And he entered as like a joke when he was like 22. Yeah. And like, I'll just do this, see what happens. Right. He's that kind of guy. He's just freakish in terms of technique and everything. And one of the most musical players, especially for a guy with that level of chops. That Have you ever find. done any of those? Yeah, I made it to like a regional and stuff of the King of the Blues. But it was always like they were looking for a traditional blues for player. For something very specific. And I was not that at that point, much further than I am now. Yeah. Uh Anyways, in his 20s, he played in like a hard rock band that he had mm-hmm. and did that for a while, then started doing a lot of the sideman stuff. So yeah. one of the first gigs he did, he played for Sebastian Bach for a little bit. Man. From that, got uh, the Scott Stapp gig from Creed, then went right over to Rascal Flats, did that for a while. So he's done high-profile national He can stuff. do, it sounds like he can do anything. A few years of, he's lived in Knoxville for the last 20 years or okay. so. So was working in Nashville a bunch, but also used to do the cover band circuit. Mm-hmm. And still does it a bit with a, a different outfit. That, uh, But, you know, there are those chain of, the tin roof bars in the south. Yeah. He used to do that circuit with multiple bands. And he's been playing with the same drummer for, I've known this drummer now for 10 years almost, where he goes out on these runs and they just have such deep knowledge of tunes. This last night in Raleigh got to the last song of Andy's set. And as happens when you play cover band, someone in the audience yells out, Freebird. Of course. Now, usually you ignore it and you play the next song. I want to make a shirt that says, please no free bird and wear it for every gig. Well, <laughs> Andy decided to kick right off into free bird and the drummer and bass player follow him in. That's the they other play move. about play 15 the whole seconds and then they stop and the guy, the audience like groans and they're like, no, keep going. So they played a 14 minute version of free bird to end their set. Where in the outro solo, Andy started quoting Liquid Tension Experiment, John Petrucci lines of <laughs> Paradigm Shift and Universal Mind. It's on YouTube now. 14-minute joke. Then for the jam, people uh, started yelling out because they know Andy's done it. Robin Trower, Bridge of Size. Okay. That tune, we closed with that. And it was just one of those where... We also did, I know you've done it with Sonia, Blind, Crippled, and Crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did that, and in the middle of it, Andy's solo, he went into Mercy, Mercy, Mercy. Mm -hmm. So we went into that, did four minutes of that, and it was just that kind of a show. And (laughs) It was completely hijacked by one guy saying... Totally, and by us just having fun and going off the rails. And it's one of those things where when you've been playing with a band for a while, and you know where you can go with it right you always get a few shows into the run and if it's short run you want there to be 20 more dates behind it because you're finally getting into that groove where no matter how many 
shows you've played with a group of guys it's that doing it night in night out right thing where you start to really feel the group that's when something special starts to happen yeah, yeah. and the disappointing thing is that was the last show of this right. run of, of you you want to just keep going and it's like yeah it's like will you guys let us play for five more nights right have you are you having um are you having have you had any like long runs like that where you can are you planning on trying to have something like that the goal is to be doing more and more of that yeah. and just signed with a new booking agent where it's looking like that's going to be more of the norm. Yeah. Up till now, booking my thing on my own and booking it's when hard, I've toured with it, it's hard to it's route so it solid. Hard. Like it's easy to get a week mm-hmm. where you're doing like a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Mm-hmm. But then it's always, how do you pick up those? Are we allowed to use questionable language here or yeah, refrain okay you pick up those shit gigs yeah. on the monday through tuesday you have like the anchor ones on a friday or saturday and then exactly. you fill it out with with shitty places and it's just a booking agent can so much easier fill those nights where right. usually up till now it's go out for half a week and then go home on sunday yeah which kind of sucks because it's like you lose the momentum from it yeah. so now that's kind of the nashville thing like they go out they either leave on a thursday take the bus out go thursday through saturday and then the whole crew and everybody comes home sunday you do it all again the next week so they tour like year around so they can get back to their families during the beginning of the week and stuff and the difference with nashville though is you're so centralized like all these guys i was out with are in knoxville so again Mm -hmm. pretty centralized they yesterday had a five-hour drive home i had a what ended up being a 13 and a half hour drive home takes a lot out of you i love boston but that is the downside of being in a corner of the country compared to more towards the middle right uh yeah yeah that's man it can be tough so what else do you have coming up is there anything that you are excited about like are you working on any new music yeah this album trying to start working on the next record Mm because My schedule starts getting really busy in the October, November, December, January, February thing where it's kind of looking at it already of if I want a new album to come out by January 2021 to kind of be on a two-year cycle. Yeah. I have to get get cracking at get that. To work, like huh? August, September, I have a little freedom. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing, it looks like Florida, the UK, uh, some more North Carolina nam in january of some west coast stuff where yeah it looks like i'll be staying much more on the road for a while and then a lot of festivals next summer so yeah. it's kind of gearing up for that so that's awesome at this point trying to in the next couple of months write and get the next album yeah done and what's the best way for people to see your stuff like you have a website i know you have a pretty sizable like instagram following instagram's been good but you know www.sethrosenbloom with b-l-o-o-m.com i'll put a link up that online uh you know facebook instagram all those and at this point the biggest goal is just to be playing more places where i kind of know the areas i do well in now yeah of i have that following from having lived there a bit through north carolina and tennessee Mm -hmm. south carolina georgia is easy enough to spread in and kind of the whole east coast yeah but it's figuring out a way of i've done chicago but on its own of how do you do iowa and indiana and all that right man it's hard it's fucking hard. It's, it's like, just the logistics of it. The logistics. It's like, do I f- spend a boatload of money and fly out and like 
and right. check stuff and rent stuff and rent a van and and kind of totally. work it out that way but am i making enough to do that or you know and it's, it's always a, on a first run for me it's can i do it without losing money because right. if for with my name on it i'll do that right yeah, because it's worth it's worth it's it for brand you. building. Yeah, it's looking at how can I do Germany, which or you're is, investing in yourself, exactly. really, and that's like the best investment you can make. Exactly. So that's no, awesome, man. Yeah. And German. And when does the UK stuff happen? UK is in December. In December. So early December for the UK. It looks like, you know, just some New England stuff between now and. Okay kind of november uh, it looks like maybe some upstate new york and all that yeah and then uh january's west coast february's florida it looks like so all that stuff starting to roll in yeah where are you at around here like the uh, next lo- the- super local one is august 10th at the burn in okay. somerville cool so that'll be fun i've actually got ryan playing on awesome on that gig too it's august 10th august 10th okay i'm gonna try it because yeah, i'm saturday night okay jesse williams is playing bass playing for bass that. awesome uh then it's i it'll actually be lauren entris on drums who i've not played I... with he's a connecticut guy who okay. jesse really wanted on this Great. so he'll be playing drums uh you know you you start calling some guys and usually i play with jesse so much that i kind of let him take the jesse man he, he first of all he's got a great name but yep. second of all um he's a great bass player i he's played with him great bass i played with him at chianti's a couple times with with ryan and sonia yeah and um yeah you were at one yeah i think you came I to think so. um man he's so good great great hang great guy yeah um He's been my most bass regular bass player around here. I've really mm-hmm. only had to call three guys, and yeah. Ryan's one of them. Ryan's done a gig on yeah. bass for me. He's, uh, he's, Ryan, man, kills it. Wherever he he's playing, he kills it. The other guy I like a lot around here is Joe Santer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's awesome. Uh, Jesse is just, I've done so much with Jesse. Right. We live close to each other. And then for a lot of the road stuff like this past weekend, it was Ben Eller. Okay. Uh, who was Andy's bass player. And Ben Eller, I don't know if you've ever seen these. He's actually a guitar player as well. Really? Primarily. And he uh, has played like in a bunch of metal bands and stuff. And then just great guitar player. But he does a YouTube series and he's a real All right. YouTube celebrity. Really? Oh, he has like 200,000 subscribers, oh, that kind of thing. Of, he started a thing. He's also one of the funniest people I know. Okay. He has a YouTube series called This Is Why You Suck at Guitar. <laughs> I think I've actually came across this. Oh, it's great. He has that, then Weekend Wank Shop, and Fack You, Frequently Asked yeah, Questions. Yeah, yeah. And we always say, it's like, tells the internet they suck at guitar, goes and tours, plays bass. Plays bass. Yeah. But it's nice because we also rolled in two guitar clinics to this run in North yeah. Carolina. Yep. And it's great having him out because then he is on the guitar clinics too mm-hmm. as a third guitar player because right. a lot of people he goes by uncle ben mm-hmm. and yeah nice it's uh <laughs> he's awesome so it's always fun having him out but he's another guy who like freakish guitar player and then can go play bass yeah and kill it on a run like this how do you run the uh the guitar clinics that you do do you just go up there and play and and take questions or do you have any kind of structure to it 
it's so different when I do them on my own versus when I do them with these guys. Because okay. on my own, like I kind of have my thing and what I know people want from me. Okay. With the three of us, we don't have much of an agenda of we sort of usually started off with questions. Okay. Because between the three of us, you know, one question can be 20 minutes of each of us kind of giving an answer. Right. And a lot of people have specific things they want to know. Like this one in Charlotte was about 25 people at the clinic. So good size guitar clinic. Mm -hmm. The one in Raleigh was smaller and it was more set up to where it was more of a master class where people could get up and play with us, get feedback, whatever they want. That's awesome. That was more of the intimate thing where people can actually play. But usually it's kind of started off with questions and, we're all great at going on long tangents from whatever the question is. And before you know it, two hours is up and we've yeah. talked a lot, played some. Yeah. And it was cool this weekend because sometimes in the guitar world you get the least enjoyable kind of clinic, which is when it's all just gear questions. Yeah. It's like, what strings do you use? Right. What picks do you use? And it's like, it doesn't matter. It's like, that's it not does, what it's but about. It does, yeah. Right. It, it, that's all just what it, it's like. What amp are you using? Yeah. It, I don't enjoy doing that. Yeah. As much it's as like I enjoy the amp you. that I'm using isn't going to make you a better guitar player. <laughs> right. And it's like we're using three different amps. Right. Our guitars are all different. We all sound good. Right. See, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but these were much more concept based and tech like technique questions of things that people really wanted to know that they were struggling with. Yeah. And that's to me the most enjoyable when you end the clinic and you feel like the people who came really got something out of it mm-hmm. that is hopefully going to solve a problem for them or give them a new way of looking at something. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I've, I haven't been to too many clinics, but I feel like the best ones are the ones where like the player will be super open and take questions. And a lot of it is like, I don't know, when it's just like natural, when they're just talking about how, you know, the feeling of how how to the, their approach and how they approach doing things and like, you know, not not super specific and, and like technique based. Right. Cause that's stuff you can go online and exactly. And, and find, you, exactly. Know, you can find all that stuff. And it's, it's the kind of thing too, with the three of us is we're all really good friends. Yeah. And when we're just hanging out all the time, it's kind of like teaching clinic of yeah. th- when the clinics go, well, it's nice when you just kind of talk compare yeah. and we're not afraid in clinics to disagree with each other too. Yeah. And kind of have those different perspectives of, I think people seem to really enjoy it when we do the clinics together because they kind of get three in one and right. three opinions. And, and it's probably like super inspiring it. to to Hopefully. leave to leave from that. You Hopefully. know, <laughs> you see like, oh man, like these guys are cool. Like I can just you know do my thing and learn, and and that's awesome. Yeah, and it's nice. Play. It's nice from a logistics standpoint because the clinics end up kind of being an extra money maker with no overhead. Right. So if you're taking a gig that might not be great pay, cause a lot of these ones, original music, you know, it's door deals and yeah. stuff. Yeah. The clinic it's even if you can make a few hundred bucks off a clinic mm-hmm. that can go a long way in terms of making the tour profitable or at least putting a few extra bucks. Right. In everyone's pocket. Right. Or paying for gas or whatever. whatever and it's the difference between 
sitting around at the hotel till five or yeah working for a couple extra yeah, hours and it's not like it's hard work on it, it days off days off are yeah. the worst thing possible on yeah a, we actually a had a really nice day off yeah and so we played wednesday in Asheville, and these guys are from knoxville they have some friends in Asheville. so ben and andy campbell the drummer they stayed with a friend out in Asheville, mm-hmm. and then andy wood and i actually his dad lives in marion north carolina okay. which is 40 minutes east of Asheville. That's right. where Andy grew up. We went and just stayed at his dad. So we got two nights of none of us. We didn't have to pay for hotels. Nice. Oh, for yeah. the off night. That's pretty sweet. And I had never gotten to really explore Asheville. Okay. Which, have you been out there? Well, I haven't done a whole lot of exploring. When we played there, you've just kind of been in and out. At the venue and kind of gone. But like my, uh, our sound guy and tour manager lives in Asheville now oh, okay. I wish I actually wish that um he wasn't around he was out with with us for that week right. but next time you go down there I'll have to let him know because I think he'd really dig dig your playing yeah so it was the kind of thing where we had a basically free no hotels to pay for yeah. off day in Asheville because I had always just driven through and in and out oh yeah, yeah. and the breweries there like for anyone that's that what likes I hear beer especially really good craft sours ridiculous do you like sour beers i do oh man there was a place we went to a place sours. burial brewing which i had one of the best sours i've ever had it was also like 11 percent. so really drink one beer and it it gets you messed up a little and then <laughs> there's a, fa- a really well-known place there the funkatorium okay which is all like sours they have okay. other stuff too but it's all sours farmhouse ales I was not as crazy about the one I got there. I don't like dark beers, and it was okay. like a cherry sour, so it was really dark. It just didn't do it for me. But they had like ridiculous charcuterie board and all that stuff. Man, this sounds awesome. And then we walked around, you know, got some stuff, and it, it was just about the best off day you can ask for. That's I also great. tried, how adventurous an eater are you? An eater? Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty adventurous. In I don't terms go of southern food. Oh man, I'll, yeah. Uh, any pretty much anything southern. I, so I love. Woke up. We were staying at Andy's dad's house, and his stepmom had hot breakfast out. Okay. Each morning. All right. Fresh biscuits. Yeah. Bacon. Uh huh. Awesome. Gravy. Awesome. Perfect. And then a local staple called liver mush. That needs a new name. <laughs> So, have you heard of liver pudding? Yeah, it's I've heard kind of like pudding. scrapple and every. So, liver mush is specific to like Western North Carolina, I okay. guess, and especially like Marion. And I guess it's always been one of Andy's favorite. First morning, I look at it, it's uh-huh. like I can't do it. I can't do that because I'm usually not a big liver one. Second morning, I'm like, I have to. You have to try. Have it. to try it. It was amazing. Really, it was delicious. It was like salty sausage. Okay. Well, I mean, that sounds like good. fried sausage, like kind of like scrapple or, or any. What's of like things. the texture like? Is it is like it... a sausage patty? Because oh. it has cornmeal in it and stuff. It looks like a right. fried sausage patty. So it's not like a wet, mushy thing. No, 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 no. It looks okay. like a, I think it comes in a block and you like cut gotcha. off the pieces. Gotcha. But it's kind of like scrapple or, or any of those, you know, pork yeah. byproduct with some cornmeal things. It's, it's kind of how they like they call black and white pudding. Like yeah. Pudding. But it's not. It's like, like a sausage kind of thing. I liked it better than bacon. Re- what? Real. It was really Blasphemy. good. No, it was like, it was just really good. So oh, got man. some of that. And yeah, we had a good time. Like, uh, 
in Raleigh, we went to, I lived in the Raleigh area for really, yeah, for a couple of years. So we went back to a, a great sushi place. So had some good. When did eats. you, when did you live down there? About 20, uh, 2016 and, uh, most 2017. Okay. Uh, did you just, you just moved there? Was it for school or anything like, so I had spent actually a lot of time down there from the time from like 2009 or so. Started going to some guitar clinics and master classes there through there. Started working down there, doing some teaching, master classes, performances in the area. Yeah. Really liked the area. Was at a very different spot in my life where I was uh, in 2016. I was pretty much all teaching. And okay. I was uh, actually engaged in doing that whole thing and Whoa. kind of settling down and all that. So made the move to North Carolina. Then realized that didn't want to be engaged anymore yeah. and also that's such a pivotal time man like oh, it 20, is. And I, 25 to 27 i was like 23 24 doing that yeah okay and it was i was down there teaching in a music school doing the you know 30 students a week thing mm-hmm. doing some freelance work but where the music school was really locking out my schedule where i couldn't tour yeah i got to like 24 and it's like I want a tour before I don't want to like put myself through that. Yeah. And it was also like the thing of the relationship had was coming to, to an end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which kind of went through a very similar thing. Yeah. And I mean, looking <laughs> back, it's, it's been all good since. Then. Yeah, but totally. That's when, uh, you know, a large part of it was just, you get into that kind of thing and, I was kind of settling down at that point, and then I realized that's not what I wanted at all. Yeah, you kind of freaked yourself out. You're like, I don't want to do this. Yeah, yeah. and so moved back up here and started really hitting it hard, yeah. doing albums, touring. But yeah, I have a pretty good following in that area and mm-hmm. know that area really well. So it's always kind of like a second homecoming show where I have tons yep. of friends down there. Man, people love music down there. Oh, like, yeah. Well, whenever we're in... You know, Virginia, the, the Northern Virginia, Washington, whatever. Yep. Um, the Carolinas. It's like people love it. They love coming out to shows. They buy merch. They they hang. Oh, yeah. And there's some know. crazy good musicians down there. Crazy. Like good so, musicians. we were at Funkatorium in Asheville. Okay. I gotta go to this place, man. And you know who lives in Asheville? Because they had a like gypsy jam- jazz band playing at this okay. place, but they have all kinds of things. Decent sized brewery, but not huge, you yeah. know, similar to any of the ones that we play at around here. And stuff. Right, right. Uh, Jeff Sipe. Really? He's an Asheville guy. And I went to the bathroom and over the urinal is hanging Poster. whatever band featuring Jeff Sipe on like the day we were playing Charlotte. And it's like, oh shit, I'd love to see that because oh, he's one of my favorite drummers. Yeah. Oh, dude, he's he's fantastic. I had no idea he lived down there. Yeah, he's like right outside Asheville or something. Oh, man well next time next time i go down there i have to figure out i have to plan out when he's playing and man that'd be crazy yeah what are some of the breweries i played a couple breweries up here um what's the one in i think it's in malden or uh, i don't know somerville line so i've played newburyport brewing okay up in newburyport i've been to some of the others one in everett Everett. I forget which one that is. I've been to the one out I'm, in Hudson, Medusa. Oh, okay. They have live music. Yeah. Everett, I think, I think they have like Night Shift out in Everett. Yeah, that's the one I've been to. There. Okay, Night Shift. Yeah. 
they're fun to play they're yeah. always like cool people it's always a cool vibe i played yeah. i played one the one in it's like somerville or something i can't remember which what the name of it was but it was like super open and cool i played always there with the gravel project beer. yeah have great beer and yeah. it's usually free yeah <laughs> which is oh awesome. i remember newbury port left with like a a a case of beer from really there. Yeah. i've only been up to newbury port one time it was nice it's a nice yeah nice spot it's pretty sweet but dude anything else that you want to hit that we that we might have missed or i don't know or, um, I, i'm like just having fun hanging out and talking i feel and like we hit yeah. a lot of we, we hit video games <laughs> we hit video games hit touring dude uh, all the gear all the stuff it's funny that you mentioned the uh that like pivotal moment in your life at around like 23 when you're engaged and stuff yeah i was talking to dave fox and he had a very similar situation when he was like 22 23 and and uh it's a life changer for anyone listening now i am single currently i'll add that yeah all right yeah he's looking good too (laughs) ladies um so like dave when he was around that age he 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 said it perfect he's like it's when you start when you're you're so young but you're starting to feel older you're starting to make that turn you're like you feel kind of old you don't know what to do you're out of college you're trying to figure out like should i be a big kid now i had such a weird path through college too where did you go to college i did a year at berkeley but i was uh similar to ryan actually i was 16 17 when i went for a year like i i left high school early to go oh so by 23 i had been out of school for five six years for a while yeah like i had already been teaching gigging doing all that stuff so it was just where it was really i had already felt I guess I had always felt kind of old mm-hmm. just from that of ending school early where I wasn't 22 coming out of college. Okay. Did you ever feel like a little bit, almost a little bit lost or out of place? Or? Not really. I've always generally, most of my friends have always been older. Just, I think, as a yeah. byproduct of being in the music industry, you know, you end yeah. up... I'm the same way, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, guys I play with now in Boston, they're all... 40s and up you know jesse i play with dave a lot with uh mark texera a lot with bruce bears who i think he's on the upper end of the the 40s 50s and even you know ryan and sonia who i see they're a couple years older yeah a couple years older and these guys i was touring with this weekend i mean andy's a really good friend of mine all these guys are and andy's later 30s now Mm -hmm. so like i've known him since he was my age and i was 16 yeah so he said you're about to turn 27 27 jesus it was such a leg up on all of us i'm starting to feel old like each birthday (laughs) after 25 it was like no man fuck this is getting the next one anyone cares about is 30 well the funny thing is like when i turned 30 i'm 31 i'll be 32 in november but when i turned 30 I had that feeling of like, oh my God, I'm 30. I start to feel old. You know, any job that I worked, the person that was 30, you're like, oh man, you're ancient. But then you see everyone who's like 35 to 40 and they're still killing it and having a good time. And it's like, oh, this isn't so bad. No, it's not bad at all. So like, I'll look back at like 25 year olds and I'm like, man, like 
you're so dumb. Well, and I look at like, you know, it's funny. You you turn 21 and you're like, oh, I'm an adult now. Yeah. And then you get to you are so the later side of 20s and it's like, oh, those babies. Yeah. Like, and I have some, it's all about the person. Like, age is yeah. always, because I have true. some friends and killer players that are, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22, you know. Right. Uh, I don't know if you've run into them. There's a guy around here. He's like 19, Baxter Hall. Blues player so. plays a lot with Bruce and Jesse. Actually, okay. he he's doing a record that's produced by Duke Robillard, I think. And oh. I've known him since he was like fourteen, and he's like super mature, mature player. Yeah, you know, great to hang with. And then a uh, couple other guys. Taz, have you seen that kid? I don't think so. So Ryan's college roommate is his music director. Taz was like in the Broadway School of Rock or something. Mm. He's like 16 now, and he'll play circles around most guys. Really? He's killing it. Dude, there's monsters around well, here. Well, the man. other guy, he's not local to here. He's a New York guy. The York other guy. guy nationally. Have you seen Kingfish play? I've never. I've uh, Kingfish, is. he's a dude with like the long hair. No, no, no. Who am I thinking of? Um, uh, I don't know who I'm thinking I'm of. I'm not sure. But anyway. King, Kingfish like went viral was on like steve harvey and ellen and everything okay from sounds so Mississippi, familiar and he's like blowing up like huge really now. he's 20 and Jesus. he's one of the best blues players on the planet already oh, i so saw it's it's always scary you know getting to 27 and then you start seeing those kids at, you know not that he's a kid anymore but at you know 19 20 21 who are like really doing it and killing it and it's like it's inspiring too it's awesome it's it's crazy it, it, part of me is like oh, i hate these people <laughs> and then the other part of me is like no just be happy that they're yeah doing the guys that you got to be really like focused on are the ones that are you know your age younger that are that are like just constantly work they treat music like a job they wake up at seven they start writing yep they you know my buddy uh steve aiello who i grew up with in rhode island who plays bass for 30 seconds to mars yeah that's the way he always treated music he got up every single morning at seven had his cup of coffee and started writing he was already like five songs deep by the time we woke up i am such a bad writer in that sense of my writings always when i'm inspired but it doesn't have to be writing it's true that it's like you have to at a certain point treat it like a business where it's you got to be respond to your emails you got to make all the calls that need to be made and you know you have to somewhat understand how to treat money and stuff with gigs and everything or there's someone else who is right right you have to try to stay on top of it and and do everything you got to do and you know know, it's also figuring out how to diversify a bit where it's not just gigging Mm -hmm. but it's i still do some teaching where now it's mostly skype lessons one-offs and stuff it's a lot of where i'll go into a studio and record a day's worth of content for a magazine or a website or something like that just because that makes touring easier yeah i do the master class thing you know i you know do some stuff with various companies in terms of demos and stuff like that and it's trying to just make sure that there's always something going on yeah and it's great I, I really like what you what you do on your uh your instagram thank you i mean that's really been a thing of 
I honestly don't enjoy social media all that much. Mm-hmm. I would much rather go back to having a flip phone. I really enjoyed those. Yeah. Uh, did with, you ever have one of the there. razors? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, those Who were didn't awesome. Have a razor? I still think that is the most badass phone that's ever been made. Yeah. I remember being like 15. All I wanted was that Motorola razor, man. It was great. That Although was in practice, the like front screen bled or something. They were not the most. When it was closed on the front. Yeah. Oh yeah. That yeah. screen like had uh, yeah. the best phone I ever ever had was my favorite TV show ever. It's 24. Okay. Yeah, 24 is great. I have a man crush on Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> what do you think about um, Designated Survivor? I'm a huge fan of that, too. Like, <laughs> My wife hates that oh, show. Oh, I love it. I just finished I the one on Netflix. It's Although, so ridiculous. It's still, I always thought they should have woven it in with 24, where you get him back from Russia, Jack Bauer's a low-level cabinet member and becomes right. president, and then when someone needs to be killed, you send the president send out the pre- to do it. Yeah, that would have been I even better. I think you got yourself but a pretty good I, I, pilot. I'm a huge Kiefer fan. Uh, it's awesome. And... One of the first cell phones I had, I only got because it was the one. It was like the reason why these companies pay so much for product placement. Yeah. It was like a Nokia that Jack Bauer used. Oh, that was the best one ever. Right. It was like a thicker one, black and kind of silver. Not only because it was a good phone, but because you felt like Jack Bauer when you used it. I still have the CTU ringtone on my <laughs> yeah. phone. I mean, that's how much of a 24 fan I am. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, but sometimes I wish I could go back to that. But the Instagram thing, the social media f- thing is all worth it. Because every show, if I'm playing a new city now, mm-hmm. I've s- at least one or two people come up that say, hey, I've been following you on Instagram. I saw you were playing here. Right. And if it's getting people out to the shows and listening to my music, then it's worth it. Yeah, that's great. How long yeah. did it take you to build up that following? I don't know. Like I'd say two years ago when I really started doing me in this kind of context yeah i had maybe three thousand followers and i think i'm at like 28 that's crazy thousand or so so it's exploded pretty well and i'd say last year at this time i had maybe 10k or 12 so so every year it exponentially oh yeah it's going quick now like i i have friends who a year ago they had 20 and they're at 40 so it starts really growing yeah and you know, it's it's effective. And as long as it's effective, like, I pick and choose what I do. I'm on mm-hmm. there. I do Facebook. I don't have Twitter. Yeah. You know, I don't have Snapchat because right. I just hate Snapchat. Yeah. Yeah. And you can do all that stuff. Like, yeah, you stick to what what is still fun for you and that you enjoy doing. Right. And, and like then you some build of them, it. I just don't see the point of. Like, Twitter just seems people like people screaming at each other that's completely what it is and then snapchat seems like a way to send dirty pictures to someone (laughs) you're thinking of (laughs) dating random person (laughs) right and then have them self-delete and neither of those things am i all that interested in doing uh so it's so ridiculous my my niece has snapchat and instagram and stuff and all it is is just like like pouty lip kissy faces with with dog ears maybe that's <laughs> my this. problem that i don't post any of those maybe i should we, do what you should do is you should do guitar videos of you with like with the you know the ears and stuff the filters get really into the 
filter game while playing guitar. Well, that I could mean, be your Instagram thing. is all about like the visual you give it. Like yeah. that's what I found. Like live stuff doesn't play well there. Live videos, yeah. unless it's super pro shot, great lighting. Yeah. But if you can do some kind of gimmick or whatever, it can go crazy. Like yeah, the buddy I was on tour with Andy Wood, he's a huge all kind of uh superhero fan too like okay. his studio he has a full-size darth vader that's fucking awesome he has a full-size <laughs> thor hammer oh my god and he has a working iron man helmet dude and when avengers endgame came out he posted a video of him playing the iron man theme with the iron man the helmet, helmet on, on. Oh. and it got like 200,000 views oh, on Instagram. It like, it went crazy. And it's uh, not the craziest playing or anything, no. but it's Iron Man helmet. But it's awesome. Gonna go viral. Yeah, it's awesome. It's topical. It's yeah. pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> I oh, need to do awesome. some more. I want to... Uh, I experimented with some videos, drum videos, but I want to get my sound. You know, I had some mics set up in here before. I got the tripod, so I'm going to see if I can get some stuff it sounds pretty good in here you know for a small room and but. honestly the sound like all of my videos are just my phone camera yeah and they sound great yeah it's like it's totally fine the only secret is i do play at annoy the neighborhood volume mm-hmm. of you know that helps if you play a little loud the phone camera picks it up fine but right. you know it's not trying to make it sound super edited or anything like that right. i think some of the of the instagram thing is seeing a little behind the scenes and a little more organic than you're getting with even like youtube or any of those yeah when did you start like really getting in there with practice like when did you see an exponential like i am really good at this i mean i played a shit ton when i was like 13 14 15 of i was just playing all the time i was into baseball and guitar that was it yeah and especially by the time i hit high school i was never all that in school like i was always a good student but Mm -hmm. i always like did the bare minimum and then i was just at home practicing like i remember sitting there just playing for hours and not because i always call bullshit on the people who were like oh yeah when i was a kid i played i practiced 10 hours a day and i used this practice routine it's like that sounds fucking horrible and also no you didn't (laughs) yeah really you played 12 hours a day so you went to school you slept you ate you had time to use the bathroom and play 12 hours i think your day has a few more hours than Mm -hmm. mine did but you know i would totally play six or eight hours of just having the guitar in my hand some days yeah other days watching tv like fiddling around all the time other days i'd play an hour Mm -hmm. of it was never a super strict thing right it was just i loved playing yeah so i played yeah and that's it. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review the episode. I'm going to Block Island. I'll see you next week. Bye. Somebody told me long time ago Never take for granted what you've always known Count your blessings and Watch your tongue And take what you can While you're young Cause as the days keep passing Lights keep
Cause as the days keep passing 